All right. Day two. Day two of free agency. We're back. It's 11 o'clock p.m. Eastern time on Monday, July 2nd. You know, up until around, I want to say it was like 7 or 8 p.m., I thought we were going to have a very calm day. We had some signings that we'll get to that are fairly significant in the Western Conference. There's a nice couple of role players that changed hands, changed teams here and there. Some team, some role players went back to their teams. But <laughs> the NBA, <laughs> man, I mean, we got DeMarcus Cousins is now a Golden State Warrior. I mean, I don't oh know gosh. what even to say. Um, but first of all, Corbin, how are you, how are you doing? I, mean, <laughs> I almost forgot. I am, yeah, no, I, I, I understand. As an NBA fan right now, I'm – this is crazy. So many moves. As a Lakers fan, I'm kind of dead inside because we lost Julius Randle. As an irrational NBA fan, my first reaction to seeing Cousins sign with the Warriors is just utter disbelief and despair. But I think it's going to be therapeutic to kind of talk this over with you and really kind of make sense of all of this. Yeah, so let's get the terms right. He's signing a one-year $5.3 million deal with the Warriors. And we must say that – we must clarify this because let's, let's – let's, it's important to clarify the situation from Cousins' perspective – really Cousins' perspective, obviously the Warriors, you know, the main decision they had to make was do they want to add this guy who has been a, a locker room problem in the past for a team that has such a strong culture, and that is a risk that they're taking. You know, Cousins some, has had a lot of resistance to coaches in the past. We, we can't avoid that. We have to talk about that. But then also his, his relationship with teammates hasn't always been that strong. You know, if he's unhappy with the, the role that he will likely get, which will be a reduced role if the Warriors continue to play the small ball lineups that they do come playoff time, this could blow up for them. But there's very little risk in terms of long-term guaranteed contract. It's only a one-year deal. If it doesn't work, they could you know, try and trade him, You know, just let him go after a year, remove, release him, whatever, et cetera. I think they have enough strong, of a, strong enough of a culture to kind of just make up for whatever he does in the locker room. Um, but from Cousins' perspective, we have to look at it like this. There was a report that came out that the Pelicans didn't offer him anything which is very, very surprising. Um, yes. We'll see what happens with AD there because, you know, obviously AD wanted DeMarcus back um, and if that affects their relationship moving forward. But the market was not there for DeMarcus Cousins anymore. I mean, people are like, oh, how is he? Do why is he doing this, et cetera? Well, let let's run down his situation and let's think of it from DeMarcus Cousins' perspective coming off that torn Achilles um, who might not be 100% till like December or January. You've got teams that have the cap space, the Hawks, um, the Bulls have cap space. The Nets could have cleared some, especially after Dwight Howard gets bought out. What are you, what are you doing there? You're not competing. You're not going to make the playoffs. I mean, you could take the money, which wouldn't be a lot, a lot of money, because I'm sure that those teams wouldn't have committed that much money to him at all anyways. But you can take a little bit more money from those teams to recover and, and come back and play basketball and, and enter uh, the 2019 market. But what are you doing there? Like I, You're recovering. You come back to a team that's going to be bad, if not tanking. You look at the situation – there's no contending teams with cap space. Maybe some kind of weird sign and trade could have been figured out. There was a report that the Blazers and the Pelicans were looking at a sign and trade with Yusuf Nurkic and DeMarcus Cousins. So weird. But apparently they have the same agent and that was a, a roadblock and that never happened. So you look at it from his perspective. There's no contending team with cap space for him really. His, his own team Pelicans didn't offer him anything. They didn't really want him. And you're not going to go to one of these bad teams that have the money. Why not take the money, a $5 million deal from the Warriors, Pretty much guaranteed championship. Let's talk. Let's just get that out of the way. They're going to win the title, barring crazy injuries or one of the most shocking upsets from a team of all time. Whoever beats the Warriors, 
He gets a championship. He gets to recover. You know, they don't have to rush him back. I mean, it's his. he's been saying that he's going to be ready for training camp. I hope he doesn't rush himself back because that would be very dangerous for him. But he can realistically rest up until December or January, get back on the court. The team's going to be clicking. They're going to win the championship. He'll recover. We'll see how he fits into the system, and, th- and we'll get to that in just a moment. But from his perspective, why not do it? You get a ring, so you got to get that monkey off your back, which all the great players kind of have to do. Um and so he gets that ring. He gets the end of the market in 2019. Hopefully when he's fully recovered, if he ever does get back to 100%, because big men with torn Achilles, there's not a good history of that ever happening. So he can get back to like 85%, 90% of what he used to be. Enters the market 2019 as a champion at 28 years old, I believe. And then he yep. can secure a big contract right there. For him, for, from if you analyze it from Cousins' perspective, it makes all the sense in the world. Oh, yeah. And... Honestly, it's not like other teams didn't have a shot. You already kind of mentioned a few that did. I am definitely surprised that the Pelicans didn't at least make an offer. And if they did, obviously not a substantial one. Because one year, $5.3 million, I understand it's the Warriors. But I'm sure that if the Pelicans made a pretty competitive offer, DeMarcus would be back there. Just because they were the team that, that got him there. You know, they had playoff success, even though he was injured. And he was a big part of that, even getting there. And you have that relationship with AD. I thought him and Rajon Rondo had a good chemistry as well. I really liked the way that Alvin Gentry was able to reconfigure that lineup to get the best out of both of those big men. Even though Anthony Davis is much better at center, I, I liked the way they're able to fit that. I don't know. All of it, it, it just, I, I can't be mad to Marcus because, as you said, it's not like other teams have a chance. It's not like he immediately ran to them. He wanted a, a decent competitive offer. Teams were, for whatever reason, obviously the Achilles being a big part of that, didn't want to give it to him. Um, the Pelicans chose not to retain him, and I don't. There, there's no better um, bet on yourself kind of contract in the league other than this one-year deal by Cousins to the Warriors. There's, there's no better situation. You rest up, you try to get yourself back to um, whatever player you are now. Come to grips with that player as you're on a championship team that uh, we all know is not going to rush you. They're, they're not going to force you to play heavy minutes. He knows that you know with the Warriors, he's not going to be relied upon to do any heavy lifting or rush his comeback any sooner for the team to have a chance because, I'm sorry, this team was already head and shoulders above most of the NBA before that even happened. So there's no pressure. Like you said, get a ring, get back in shape, get yourself back out in the market when you're 28 and conceivably in your prime. And I I don't know. This is just such a a rich-get-richer type move that came out of nowhere and is really baffling for both the Pelicans, in my opinion, and the Lakers, because we let go, of Ju- they let go, not we, they let go of Julius Randle, and I thought, okay, maybe DeMarcus is in play, I'm not sure how it's going to work, but they'll make some sense of this just haphazard roster they put together, but no. Spoiler alert, they did not. <laughs> and I, I mean, I'm laughing t- so that I don't cry right now, like, that's how bad <laughs> it is. This is horrible. Um... Yeah, so, well, let's just, I mean, for people who somehow aren't aware yet, they signed Rajon Rondo to a one-year $9 million contract, which you know was available for DeMarcus Cousins. I mean, I'm not sure why they're not at least, I mean, maybe they did. We don't know the, we obviously don't know the full story. Maybe they did call him up and offer him one year, you know, $9 million, the same thing for that Rondo guy. Maybe they gave him a little bit more. Um, and maybe he said, you know what? No, I really want to make sure I get a championship. I'm going to go to the Warriors. But I feel like he would be enticed by L.A. and LeBron and an extra four to five million dollars, which I guess is not that much for him, considering the fact that he'll make more in his next contract and already has made a lot of money. Um, but 
if if the report comes out that the Lakers didn't even offer him that, it doesn't make any sense to me at no. all. To renounce Randall, who we'll get to, who, by the way, people don't know, I guess, uh, joined the Pelicans, Cousins' former team, for, with a two-year $18 million deal with a player option. So that's a great, a, deal. a great deal for Pelicans and a great deal for Randall himself to get back, potentially get back on the market next year. Um, but for them to not, for the Lakers to not even offer Cousins from all the reports so far is is completely baffling to me. Um, and it just adds to this weird collection of pieces that they've put around LeBron ever since they signed him. I mean, they signed LeBron James. They're the winners of the offseason. And ever since then, they've been just going steadily downhill. And the Warriors are now probably the winners of the offseason, considering the fact that they add DeMarcus Cousins, which I want to talk about his fit on the court in just a second. But also the fact that before they signed DeMarcus Cousins, they were one of the winners of the offseason with their primary competitor, the Rockets, getting worse, losing Trevor Ariza. The Thunder, you know... And we'll talk about them. The Thunder made a move adding Nerlens Noel, um, which I think is a good move there. But the Thunder are bringing back a team that's very expensive that is similar to last year, which they got eliminated in the first round. So they really don't seem to be that much of a threat at the moment. They had these teams around the Warriors getting worse or staying the same, and yet the Warriors then able to add Cousins. But I do think there is. we have to talk about the fact that this might not be and probably isn't going to be a perfect fit on the court. Actually, it's probably going to be a really, really awkward fit once he comes back whenever that is. If he comes back in January, that's basically half the year already. This team's going to be cruise control. They're going to be comfortable with what they've been doing for the past couple of years. This is a big man who has used over 30% of his team's possessions, over 30% usage rate, um, I think, for the past four years. And he even did it with the Pelicans last year. I think it was 32% usage rate. That doesn't. That's not what the Warriors do. The Warriors don't have centers or big men, really, in general have that use high usage rate that are predominantly playing in the post or having the ball in their hands. Cousins is a guy who's very deliberate. He's not going to be running up the floor. He's not going to be going crazy in transition. He is going to want to get some post-ups. He's going to want the ball in his hands. He's going to expect to get a decent amount of shots, obviously. Um, and then on the defensive end, the Warriors are one of these teams that use this, this modern scheme of switching pretty much everything. And they've had centers who, you know, Petrulia was not good at it, but he still did it from time to time. Kevon Looney did it in the playoffs against the Rockets. Jordan Bell, of course, can do it. Um, so they've been targeting these centers. Obviously, Draymond Green, when they go small, they've been targeting these centers or big men to play in small ball lineups and to make sure that they can switch. And DeMarcus Cousins is not going to switch. You don't want him switching, and he's not going to do it, pretty much. Um, <laughs> and that's what throws off their defensive scheme. When he's on the floor... Not only is it going to be weird on offense with him wanting the ball, Durant still doing his isolation ball a lot of the time, especially when we saw in that conference finals, which kind of frustrated Warriors fans when he was struggling. There's going to be an awkward fit on, on both ends of the floor because on defense, they're going to have to adapt their defensive scheme to, to not switch everything with Cousins on the floor, and that might cause confusion from time to time. And then on offensive end, how he fits in. Is he willing to just take a huge decrease in roll, huge decrease in shots? Is he willing to spread the ball a lot more or is the most important thing is is he going to be able to, to make quicker decisions because the Warriors are all about that fast-paced ball movement cutting off the ball cutting to the rim Cousins is more of a deliberate guy he's going to get the ball in his hands he's going to survey the defense he's going to try and make his own move and then try and create a shot for others Cousins is a willing passer and is a, a pretty decent passer for a big man but his decision-making process is a lot slower than the bit the Warriors big men that they have on the roster right now and so, I, I mean, I was reading Kevin Pelton's article on ESPN about how he's going to fit on the floor, and there's a lot of interesting tidbits in there as well. But in my perspective, sure, we talk about it. He's a four-time All-Star in their lineup. If you read their starting lineup you know, out loud, it's ridiculous. One of the best, if not the best talent-wise of all time put together. But the fit itself will be awkward to start, if not for the entire upcoming season. Oh, yeah, it, it definitely will. And I think that's going to be at least part of – 
the intrigue, I'm still trying to find more to, about watching the Warriors this season, is between chemistry, I think I have a little fun game in my head going on between who has the most technicals, between DeMarcus, Kevin Durant, and Draymond Green. That'll be interesting to see. But also, he, he brings a different dynamic. I'm, I'm rather bullish on him, his fit, not only because I think this is the first team, well, the Pelicans gave him a chance. Sacramento did nothing for him, in my opinion, as far as putting players around him that can at least play to some of his strengths. Um, I think New Orleans had found a system and found a fit that was working. And I think with Golden State, they'll do the same because it's not as if he's just a traditional ground-bound center. Yes, he is going to use possessions. He is not quick with giving up the ball. He likes to hold it. He, he, you know, he likes to initiate. He likes to be kind of a fulcrum in that sense. Um, I was reading a Ringer piece earlier about that, and I didn't even know, but he ran the pick-and-roll as a ball handler almost as often per game as Jason Tatum did for the Celtics. And last season, he had more spot-up possessions per game than any player in the league and he shot exactly the average from three at 35.9 percent now this is in i mean demarc is what 610 to fit like this is a huge frame with that skill set and i think with the warriors he'll, he'll probably be more of a shooter i definitely i definitely see that just because it's going to be adjustment for the warriors but they like playing that out style and i think of all the centers they've had actually i don't think we know this demarcus flashes that most touch from outside from mid-range from three that Pachulia had a, a little bit of a mid-range game JaVel McGee was all rim rolling um Jordan Bell again flashed a little bit but DeMarcus can get you a pick and rolls and pick and pops and I think if, if any coaching staff will find a way to in, integrate Cousins into this offense it will be the Warriors defensively it's gonna be a lot more interesting because as you said they're a switch everything type defense and Cousins is not a switch player at all and if there is a chink in their armor, I do think it's that, trying to play Cousins off the floor, I guess, defensively. But I really think with Coach Ron Adams and the great staff that the Warriors have, they'll find a way to at least mitigate his weaknesses on that end to, to a larger extent. Uh, it's it's going to be interesting to see. But this you, you your one weakness, if anything, in your starting five was center. And now you bring one of the best centers in the league on the team. Yes, coming off an Achilles injury, but... I, I mean, the dude averaged like a 25 plus 10 and 5. I mean, there's no way you don't bring him to your team and there's in any way a, a bad deal. You know, just talent-wise, they prop themselves up head and shoulders once again. Yeah, and so, and one of the interesting things is that the Warriors actually, you know, they obviously have the Splash Brothers, two of the best shooters of all time. They also got Kevin Durant there. Um, but with Draymond's <laughs> green shooting, dramatically decreasing recently. Iguodala's shooting as, as well as decreased. Obviously, when they play Sean Livingston, he doesn't shoot. Their other bigs, David West, Jordan Bell, Kayvon Looney, aren't spacing the floor if Looney's back, which we doubt it at this point. Um, Cousins is actually going to help their three-point shooting. I, I, it's crazy <laughs> to say that adding a center does that to a team. Um, but there was when the reports were coming out earlier in the day that Cousins was potentially rumored to go to the Lakers – um, or even yesterday, it was funny that pretty much everyone, including myself, tweeted out that, oh, you know what, they, he would be one of their top three shooters on the Lakers roster at this point in terms of from beyond the arc. And people were like, how? Adding a center and improving your shooting? Well, today's NBA, you have centers that can shoot. Spoiler alert, Jaron Jackson Jr. hit eight threes today in summer league, by the way, if anyone <laughs> wants to check out those highlights on YouTube. I, I, I watched those and um, I watched the game and I was very impressed with him. Um, but that's today's NBA where you have centers that are actually – you know, top five shooters on their team. And for this Warriors team, obviously the Splash Brothers, Durant can shoot, Draymond and Iguodala can hit, you know, pretty inconsistently. But adding a guy like Cousins who's hitting a league average um, from three on a good amount of attempts will help them. And also as he continues to regain his athleticism or if it doesn't come back at all, that shooting touch 
should be able to st stay there. So if they put him in the corner for threes, or they put him on the perimeter for threes, obviously having guys attack the rim, they can kick it out to him, throw him in the post. I think it'll work, but the, the the benefit that they get from the shooting touch of Cousins is actually something that's pretty important to their offense in terms of giving more space for Curry, Durant, and Thompson, etc. Um, and then the other thing is like, you know, you, you said that defense, that that could be the, the one thing you attack in terms of trying to play him off the floor. Well, <laughs> hate to break it to you. If you play him off the floor, you're going to play yourself into their death lineup. That brings Andre oh. Godala off the bench and Draymond Green to center, which is still one of the most monstrous lineups in the league. Um, so if you don't play him off the floor, you're probably getting beasted on the inside and in the paint and then also on the perimeter as well. And, the, you know, what they could do is staggering their lineups once he's fully healthy, having him and Curry on the floor, him and Thompson, him and Durant, Durant and Curry, Curry and Draymond. Um, so many options. And if you play him off the floor, you get their death lineup. If you don't play him off the floor, he's probably beasting you on, in the paint, on the glass, etc. And listen, <laughs> it's, I mean, it, it's tough. But... <laughs> it's exhausting, man. It's almost like, like the Rockets – when they always had an all star on on the court, all star point guard at any one time, the the the, the, the I don't even know what I'm saying. The Warriors are gonna have at least two to three all stars on the court at any given point in the game. And when it gets crunch time, you know what's rolling out. I almost forgot about the deaf lineup. That makes it even more insane. That oh great, now we got Demarcus off. Here comes Andre Iguodala to unlock another part of their defense. And hit a corner three at the worst possible time for the opposition. And slip inside for a dunk, as he always seems to do. I mean... <sighs> I mean, well, <laughs> I'm, it's just, you know what? I I forgot what I was going to say. And, I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, it, that's what the Warriors do to you, really. I mean, that, that's just what they do to you. And, and these teams, like the Rockets that have gotten worse and the Thunder that have, for the most part, say the same, but have kind of added a couple pieces and maybe get healthy and, you know, maybe become more of a threat than the Rockets do, honestly, because the Rockets haven't done anything in free agency yet. Um, but really, a, a baffling move that no one saw coming, which is why it's so surprising. Um, we knew that the market was thin for Cousins, but we just never knew to, or expected that he would be interested in Golden State or that Golden State would be kind of interested in him, which makes sense for him, obviously. But once it kind of once we all realized how much the market had dried up for Cousins, this makes the most logical sense. You get a championship ring, you get a one-year deal, you get to be able to rest up without any pressure to come back quickly and you get back in the market for age 28 um, but I do want to talk about this from two other teams perspectives which you've kind of already touched upon the Lakers in terms of renouncing Julius Randle having the money I think to offer Cousins a better deal even if only for one year and giving them the attraction of LA and LeBron etc and spending that nine million dollars on Rajon Rondo um, and then there was another report that I think it was from Ramona Shelburne who said that they're coming into the season with no expectations, you know, that that point, that starting point guard spot is up for grabs apparently, and that is concerning to me. I mean, what they've done since since signing LeBron, um, they brought back Contavious Caldwell Pope, which I think is probably their best move in terms of what they've done since adding LeBron. Oh, um, by far. Lance Stevenson and JaVale McGee on one-year deals, now Rondo on one-year deals. I mean, this is a, a collection of. I mean, they must be going for some kind of side reality show on, on the side of their season to get more money because they are going to have so many personalities here, so many veterans that don't really fit. There's very little to no shooting for the, throughout most of this team. Um, and we, we have to see how they figure out the rest of the lineup. But when you f cap, uh, factor in the, the point that they had to renounce Randall to sign Rondo to this, why? Why? Why is Rondo getting $9 million? He should be getting no more than four or five or, you know, exceptions or something. I mean, I just do not understand it at, at all at any point. Like, 
great. He's a good playmaker, um, and LeBron wants playmakers, and he's an experienced veteran for some of these young guys that they got on the team, and I guess they've been looking for more experience as well. But if he takes away playing time from Lonzo and Lonzo's development, or you know, maybe there's a move coming down the line that we don't know at this moment, but I can only judge them for what they still have on this roster. If there's a move down the line, sure, it kind of makes more sense, but $9 million for a guy who's not going to shoot, he's not going to play defense, especially during the regular season. Obviously, you can get playoff Rondo, but that's not during the regular season. Um, and then the lack of shooting around LeBron concerns me as well. Uh, the lack of upside, the money, other options available, so many negatives to this move and uh, negatives to the other moves that they've made since adding LeBron James that just completely have me dumbfounded at this point. I, I really, excuse me. <coughs> oh, man, I came out. I'm... In total shock. At, at, when we first had LeBron, I was okay. We still had time. And not time, but really more cap space to, to sign another max level free agent. At this point, with just over $5 million left, that, that, that is done. It's $5.6 million in cap space for next season right now. That That's not going to happen. Um, bringing in Rajon Rondo, as you said, puts him in direct conflict with Lonzo Ball. Because... According to um, a tweet that was read earlier, he, he Rondo's already been informed it'll be an open competition to starting point guard. So, what? That, that's basically what I get because we drafted Lonzo, or not we, Lakers drafted Lonzo with the number two pick. I'm sure not to have him come off the bench, especially when he did have a, a pretty solid rookie year. And Rondo doesn't seem the type to join a team to be a backup at this point. He's not exactly Carmelo Anthony refusing to come off the bench, but he still thinks he's a serviceable starting point guard. And I tend to agree in certain um, certain lineups or other teams. This is not a team that I felt the services were needed for. So this is going to be very interesting. The roster as constructed around James right now is is, is odd, and as to say the least. It's not even his type of roster where he comes in and he brings older veteran shooters. It's like the Lakers are doing something totally different in that they seem to be bringing LeBron on a team full of young pieces that could conceivably form a core, bringing in ancillary pieces that are older, more experienced, and saying, okay, we're going to try to win now. But this isn't like LeBron pieces in the past when he first brought his cadre over to the Miami Heat with Mike Miller, with Shane Battier, with with other shooters, or when he came over to Cleveland and brought Mike Miller and Sean Marion and, and other players, James Jones, other mainstays from his earlier times that could space the floor and knew his system. This is totally new people here. Lance Stevenson, JaVale McGee, I mean, right off the bat with those two, it's the L.A. Space Cadets. Um, Brandon Ingram, Caldwell Pope, Kyle Kuzma, and Josh Hart, you know, granted, if they all stay, that, that's obviously a big if. If they're all on the team coming in this year, they're all very capable three-point shooters. But I'm not sure if I'm going to go, oh, yeah, we got Josh Hart and Caldwell Pope to go toe-to-toe with the sharpshooters the Warriors have and the ones that the Rockets have. That's not a fight you're going to win. I'm sorry. And, and I, I mean, you already say about J.R. Smith that you, you didn't have the talent to compete as far as high IQ. I mean, he, he referenced the, the, the Boston team. So I guess, okay, you got Rondo. Good. You got one of those players that you're referencing. But I, I don't think Lance Stevenson and, and JaVel, McGee, uh, JaVel McGee meet that. And here's a funny, interesting thing. That 20, I think it was that 2013, 2014 season where Lance Stevenson had, I think, 15 triple doubles or something like that. I'm still looking at it right now. He has not had a triple double before that year, and he has not had one <laughs> after. I, <laughs> that is the biggest out there woe I just hadn't realized. This team is so weird. And I, I, I can't even say they're going to be competitive because right now it's a mishmash of of talent that I guess could go somewhere. But I think LeBron forgot that it's the Western Conference. I mean, there's so many teams that are just put together. Even teams that have less, okay, individual talent have a clear direction. Right now, do you think 
the Lakers are better than Portland? I would say yes, just on the strength of LeBron James. Take him off the roster, and I don't know. Yeah, so here's the thing with the Warriors adding Cousins. The, the Lakers now, if I'm the Lakers, I feel no need, no pressure, and I'm not even really probably looking to make a trade for Kawhi Leonard right now because you're, even if you added Kawhi to this roster at this moment, the collection of people they have around LeBron and Kawhi, plus the fact that they have to integrate so many new pieces and everything, and, and the Warriors adding Cousins now that might not have to integrate him until January, and then when they do, it's probably only going to be a bonus for the most part. Obviously, there could be some negatives as we talked about before. But there's no way they're going to compete this year. So why not? Don't trade any young guys. Just sign Kawhi next summer in 2019. And by then, you know, again, the, the thing with the Cousins deal is that it's a one-year deal. So if he, if he rebounds and plays up to his value, he's leaving Golden State because they don't have the money for him. So that he'll be gone. Mm-hmm. You know, so if he plays poorly, regardless, he's going to be gone after one year pretty much. Seems like a one-year, get my championship, let me recover, et cetera, build my value back up and get a big contract next year and I'll, I'll be out of there. So – don't even bother competing this year, honestly, because even if they added Kawhi, they they really wouldn't. I'd still pick the Warriors to win the series, and it would cost some of their young players and picks to get Kawhi now when you can sign him in summer of 2019 or the other stars available that could be available like Jimmy Butler or something like that. Keep your young guys. Let them grow with it for a year. Let LeBron get integrated, get comfortable, etc. I don't know what – figure out what you have with these role players that you signed. Um, <laughs> add a star player and see what you can get in 2019 to build a contender when Cousins is, is gone from – Warriors and they seem to be back to what they were before and they also will have tough decisions to make regarding you know Clay Thompson etc Jamon Green extensions coming up um so that that's if I'm the Lakers I'm not making the trade for the star player right now because you, you lose a young you use multiple young players or and or picks and you still wouldn't compete this year so why not just save those young players and picks add the star player next summer when LeBron's fully integrated and comfortable in LA and then go for it when the Warriors don't have cousins um as that extra player that raises their ceiling even more that's what I would be doing from the Lakers perspective um, but, Which you know means that they're not going to do that. They'll probably trade for Kawhi <laughs> tomorrow for the whole lot. <laughs> oh my God! I mean, ever since they've done the LeBron James move, it's just been bad move after. Or I mean, and the Contavious Caldwell Pope, I'm actually I think is a fine, decent move. Um, That's the one good signing, yeah. But ever since then, it's just downhill with these signings, especially when you consider what else was on the market, and you know things like a Cousins going to Golden State when they could have offered him a contract, and. Uh, Rondo getting nine million when he should be getting you know no more than five really in today's market. Um, some really dumbfounding move, but one of the most confusing ones that the Lakers did was renouncing Randall in order to sign Rondo. And now we, we can turn our attention to Randall's situation and now to one of the more interesting teams in the Western Conference. I mean, this Western Conference is going to be so interesting. It's going to be besides the fact that it's going to be a complete bloodbath on a nightly basis for playoff seating behind the Warriors. It's just going to be so interesting because now the New Orleans Pelicans replace Cousins with Julius Randle, a player that we are both so high on. Um, The fit here, I think I'm more high on than you are. Um, But the Mm -hmm. two years, 18 million, like I mentioned before, player option. So pretty much if he plays well, I would expect him to opt out of that second year and see if he can get a bigger bigger deal. Um, But if he plays poorly, he still has, you know, an extra year of $9 million that, you know, locked up for himself if he plays poorly. But – Really what happens is, you know, what they're going to do is the indication is that Anthony Davis is fine playing center for a decent amount of time, the majority of his minutes, I would assume. Um, They can have Miritich start at power forward with Anthony Davis at center. Obviously, you got Drew Holiday, and if Drew Holiday can continue playing like he did in the playoffs, he'd become basically a star. He's close to an all-star level, if not at an all-star level that he was in the playoffs. If he can translate that to the next regular season with Miritich and AD, guys like Etwan Moore and Darius Miller shooting threes on, on the on the perimeter, which they could obviously still use a wing player. Um, but then Julius Randle's fit is interesting because he is 
best as a center in my opinion or he is playing power forward next to a, a center who can stretch the floor so you there's different matchups here and what i thought coming into the season regular to coming into the offseason i thought the pelicans would bring back cousins and then use this three three big rotation of miritich davis and cousins where davis and cousins would start miritich would come in sub in for davis or cousins um and play with one of them and then the other one would come in and replace the other one and you know staggering like that kind of like what the rockets did with james harden and chris paul they can still mm-hmm. do this with Julius Randle. They get a younger, different player, but I still think there's the, they're going to do that and they should do that. And so I mentioned starting Miritich and AD in the front court, and maybe you have uh, Randle come in from Miritich because Anthony Davis can spread the floor just enough as a three-point shooter. You have to respect him and give Randle work uh, room to work down low. Or you can go a more interesting route and pair him with Miritich, in which case you have no zero rim protection, zero height really defending the rim, and that could be a problem defensively. Um, but offensively, Miritich, of course, a good shooter from the power forward position, can definitely space the floor for Julius Randle. But the, the fit aspect that I'm most intrigued by is Randall's ability to be an absolute terror in transition. I mean, sometimes he gets that ball off a rebound or an outlet, and he's just tearing up the floor, making plays for others, driving to the rim, being ultra-aggressive, and that's what the Pelicans do. They, they played the, the fastest pace in the, in the regular season last year, especially post-Cousins is when they went. They really just jacked up that pace, and, and what they did to the the Blazers in the first round was really nothing short of incredible. Um, but adding Randall, who can thrive in transition, can thrive in a fast pace, who can be physical on the glass, can be physical enough where he takes off, he takes that some of that physicality away from AD. So even if AD and Randall on the floor together, AD is the bigger player, but sometimes you'll definitely see Randall be the one bruising with the opposing center so AD doesn't have to take that physical toll on himself. So I think that there are so many different aspects of this team that not only make it fascinating, but I think that this could fit very, very well if they stick to a three-big rotation and don't force Nikola Miritich to play um, small forward. If that happens and Miritich is playing small forward, then forget about it. I'm going to be so frustrated. But if that doesn't happen and they use Randall right, you know, use him in transition where he can thrive, have him attack the glass, um, have him play make, he can pass the ball. He's a very capable passer. I mean, we've talked about him multiple times in the show with him averaging over three assists per game when given enough minutes and opportunities. He's a good, willing passer when he wants to be. He can thrive in transition, attack the glass. While he can't space the floor, he's got AD and Miritich, especially Miritich, but AD to an extent as well, who can space the floor enough to give him work, uh, room to work down low. For all those reasons, I think that this is a great signing for the Pelicans and also a good signing for Randall if he can get on the market next summer. Yeah, it, it's a really solid move. I'm more concerned about offensive fit because Randall, as we saw in L.A., is still working on developing that jump shot and has actually shot worse from three over the past three seasons, which isn't isn't a requirement at all to play alongside AD and Miritich. That's still going to be a monster front court. But to me, it reminds me more of a, of a Terrence Jones-type fit with AD than a DeMarcus Cousins type. But as you already stated, he's, he's a terror in transition, just a beast down there. They're going to be playing at a breakneck speed. Um, and having Randall and Nikola Miritich really gives – the Pelicans two fellow bigs that can suck attention out the paint and that makes opponents pay for doubling Davis because are you really going to do that when Miritich can bomb away from outside and Randall could take it right down your throat no I, I that would that there's no way and if the Pelicans play to their strengths and really as you said stick to more of a rotation with Randall and Miritich alongside Davis and keep that going and don't 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 which I know they're going to do just because we're saying it but don't play mirror to the small forward then then you have a, a, a real good piece I mean you have real good pieces that's still a solid team I don't know if they're better than this one with 
with um, just DeMarcus Cousins. Everyone's saying that they are. I'm the one holdout. So I guess I'm going to go with that as well and say that this is an improvement. And you have great pieces already because last I checked, this team was just a monster monster last season in the playoffs. I mean, at least against the Blazers. And I don't know. I'm just, I'm just going to say it. As a Lakers fan, I'm still kind of recovering from the fact that he's truly gone. All right? I mean... I've been, we've, I've been watching him develop since we got drafted in 2014 and really seeing how that's gone from there and the ups and downs and how he was really shaping himself to be. And I figured, you know, the Lakers would swing for a big fish. They had LeBron, but let's make smart moves. Let's re-sign Julius Randle and go from there. And that did not happen. And that is right now taking my whole thoughts on Julius Randle. So my they're a little muddled here. But you have Miritich, you have Anthony Davis. That's a great front court. Can't forget Drew Holiday had an all-star season last year. Frank Jackson will be healthy. You definitely have to work on your wings. But if New Orleans plays to their strengths and that's their front court, they're going to be a really good team this year. I mean, that's going to happen regardless. But a real feisty, real tough, kind of sneaky out in the playoffs. Uh, yeah, and, and you mentioned the wings. I think there was a report that both them and the, and the Rockets are interested in James Ennis, which would be a very nice fit in New Orleans. Also, might be the starting small forward in Houston, but that's how bad that situation <laughs> could be. Um, but oh, here's some numbers about the Pelicans' past regular season that are interesting and maybe where we can talk about how Randall can improve them or actually just strengthen them. So the, as we mentioned, number one in pace last year. Offensive rating for the season, they were ninth. They were ninth offensively. That's good. I think it can improve, obviously, but that's pretty mm-hmm. pretty good if you're top 10. Defensive rating... They were 14th, so a little bit above league average. And this is where it gets interesting in terms of Randall on the defensive end. Um, I had an article on our website, 94 Feet Report, about a week and a half, two weeks ago. Um, I didn't talk about his fit with the Pelicans because I didn't see that coming. Um, But I did talk about him (laughs) as a player and what a theoretical situation would be for him. And this fits that mold of having having other bigs that can space the floor around him when he's on the floor with them, which allows them to play him at center. And an interesting thing that just popped in my head is with Drew Holiday on the perimeter, who we saw can be an absolute lockdown defender um, in the playoffs. And then you have AD and Julius Randle. When they have those minutes together, I'd be looking to do a switch switch everything scheme. I mean, Holiday is a, is a bigger guard. He's physical, especially on the defensive end. Randle, we know, can switch. That's a key part of what I talked about in my articles. That he can definitely switch, especially when he's engaged defensively. AD, we, we have seen he can switch. We, he switched a little bit in the perimeter um, in the playoffs and obviously can recover with his length if he's beaten off the dribble to block shots. The question comes on the wings, obviously. If Solomon Hill can recover and become a decent player, he can obviously do some stuff on the defensive end a little bit. Etwan Moore is not that great, but still can switch. They'll be undersized when they switch would be a, a concern, which is why I definitely think that they would be a prime car- candidate for James Ennis, who I think is a 6'8", a 6'8 wing. You add him, who can kind of hit threes and play defense. If they get a guy like James Ennis on the wing and they have a, fl- a lineup of a wing that can switch, theoretically, James Ennis, Drew Holiday... DeMarcus Cousins, I mean, oh God, oh no, oh no, I just said DeMarcus Cousins, <laughs> uh, Julius Randle, too soon, too, too soon. Um, Julius Randle and AD, if all those four pieces are on the floor and, you know, you throw in one other player that that's just sitting there, you know, Etuan Moore, for example, I would be looking to switch, I wouldn't be looking to switch when Miritich is on the floor with Randle, I wouldn't, pretty much be looking to switch when they have their starting lineup of Miritich and AD, but when you put Randall with AD and Holiday and each one more in a wing like James Ennis, I would be looking to switch because I'm all four teams adapting that modern defensive scheme. Um, and a couple of other numbers that stand to improve for the Pelicans. Their rebound percentage, they were all the way down at 21st. 
Randall, we know, can be a beast on the glass. Even more importantly, he can also be a monster on the offensive glass where the Pelicans were 28th in offensive rebound percentage. They Now they have Randall. They have AD. These two guys, when they're on the floor, not only should they, do, should they be doing a switching scheme, not only should they be running in perimeter and not afraid to have Randall bring out the ball himself because he can create for himself and attack the rim and create for others, but they need to attack the glass because that's going to create second-chance opportunities, get them more open three-pointers. If they get a, a surprise offensive rebound, obviously they can kick it out to a three-pointer like each one more, Holiday, etc. They need to attack the glass, continue to play at that fast pace. Do not restrain Julius Randle. You've got to let it, you've got to unleash Julius Randle. That's where he's at his best. Um, and I think that they can do that. I think that I like their pieces. I think that they have one of my favorite front courts, if not my entire favorite front court in the NBA right now. A guy I love in Drew Holiday as a two-way player on the perimeter. You add another three and D wing like a James Ennis. You add you keep you bring back those shooters like each one more. They won 48 games last year. The West will be tougher this season so maybe they they win in a similar boat but i'd be picking the pelicans if, if they stay healthy with this intriguing front court that i think can work out really well if they if they unleash julius randall and bring back shooters and add another wing i think they're going to be a solid playoff team that's going to be a tough out on a nightly basis on both ends of the floor oh yeah i mean it's it's just such a great fit i like alvin gentry as coach with randall and as you said unleash the beast uh, he finished the year with the league's ninth most points in the paint at 11.5 points. And after the All-Star break, he'd averaged 19.5 points, 9.4, can't talk, rebounds, and 3.2 assists. And he really amped up his physicality in the post. And he actually had a jump in production on the defensive side of the ball because, you know, he, he's sort of a sub subpar defender, but he's a really good switch player, as you said. And he had the strength to wall off bigs down low and the speed to handle getting switched onto opposing guards. I mean, with that development, and now you bring him down to New Orleans where alongside just the greatest, one of the great big men in the league in Anthony Davis, and hope he doesn't go to the Warriors soon, <laughs> and Nikola Miritich, you, you have someone who's he's only 23. I mean, DeMarcus Cousins entering his prime with Julius Randle, you still have years to go. And, and that's kind of scary with all the, the, the talent he has right now on this team. It's, it's just a great fit. If it, it, and almost to use a weird analogy here, you know how every player right now that plays 2K is probably going to go with the Warriors? It would be a sneaky not be good team. It shouldn't. It really shouldn't. But, you know, you know what's going to happen. I'm done playing online. But that's besides the point. <laughs> um, a sneaky team to play with would be the, the New Orleans Pelicans. They just have such an intriguing fit. And I do not like Alfred Payton at point guard at all. I'm sure we'll get into that at another time. I, I just see that uh, not even a lateral move is just like a worse move than having Rondo, in my opinion, with the shooting percentages and the downgrade in playmaking. But if they can get, as you said, a wing player of the James Ennis mold or really just a serviceable wing and – and you already have Drew Holiday there and maybe one other player. I already mentioned Frank Jackson at, at guard. This is going to be a good team. It's going to be a good team to watch. And as you mentioned at the very beginning of this podcast, there's a lot more intrigue now with other pieces and other teams that I think we can really look forward to, to observing over the season. Yeah, so one, once free agency calms down, you know, in the next week or so, that first 2K My League I'm starting is probably with the Pelicans um, because this is a fascinating team, both, you know, obviously in 2K, but in real life. Um, and listen, when we talk about the Warriors being a near lock for the championship, these are the stories and these are the teams that get me excited for the upcoming season. Watching how the Pelicans figure out this new rotation, watching how good they can improve defensively, how they can run and transition at a fast pace, um, how, you know how other teams like the Nuggets are going to take another step forward. How other teams like the Thunder, which we'll talk about in just a second. How the Lakers, of course, like these weirder, smaller stories and these kind of smaller market teams 
that have intriguing sets of talent are really what get me excited for the upcoming regular season. You know, a, a regular season which most of us assume and probably know that the Warriors are going to win the championship. But regardless, we can still get excited for the season through analyzing teams like the Pelicans and the Nuggets and maybe the Thunder now because I'm going to do a pretty smooth transition in my opinion. To oh, see, I like say it. Say that they're added Nerlens Noel on a two-year veterans minimum contract with a player option on the second year. So, again, if he boosts his value now, now when we talk about Cousins, from Cousins' perspective, Golden State made the most sense to him. This one doesn't make the most sense for Nolan Zawell from his perspective because the report came out on Sunday that he was basically down to the Lakers, Thunder, and Wizards for his three teams. The Lakers, is he the starting center? I would think so, especially now that we know that they didn't really have plans for Randall. Um, and they always, maybe, I think, Deep down, they probably always had plans to kind of renounce him and, and use that cast base somewhere else. So I think Rant Noel probably would have started at center. And they also had that connection with LeBron James having the same representation. That's an interesting thing that he didn't go to L.A. But two, in Washington, you add Nerlens Noel to that roster, he's starting center. All right, Yana Mahimi is not starting for a playoff team, okay? I'll tell you that right now. It's not going to happen. Um, so in terms of having a bigger role, he had two options. L.A., a great market, LeBron, competitive team. I'm not the OKC is going to be a competitive team as well, but just the market and the bigger role, and then also in Washington, you know, market also a competitive team there as well, bigger role there, and yet he decides to play in a role where he'll be bat behind Stephen Adams, who's firmly entrenched, you know, 30 minutes a game at center. Plus the fact that the Thunder have started exploring using Jeremy Grant at center in these weird small ball lineups, which again will take away minutes from Nerlens Noel. And the third thing is that if Nerlens Noel, you know, doesn't recoup his value, doesn't start playing better, he just won't get that many minutes. I mean, I feel like if he went to a different team, he would have had more leeway in terms of if he if he struggles early on because they don't have many centers on the roster. But here they've got Adams. They can go to Grant at center. They can go to Patrick Patterson at center. Um, you know, for a veteran's minimum, he probably could have got more money somewhere else and a bigger role somewhere else. But for the OKC side, it shores up their backup center position in terms of having a more traditional rim running, be able to protect the rim, catch alley-oop lobs from Russell Westbrook, etc. Um, you know, we haven't really seen him switch because Noel didn't play that much recently last year, especially with that t- terrible down year in, uh, in Dallas. Um, but I like this for them because... While it is an expensive move given their luxury tax issues, if they're going to get a backup center, you're going to bet on some young talent here in New Orleans, Noel, shore up that backup center spot. You don't even have to use him that much if you go small ball and have Steven Adams. So I don't think it's – I like it from the OKC's perspective. From New Orleans, Noel's perspective, I think he could have done a lot better in terms of the contract he got and the role he got moving forward. See, I'm actually a little more optimistic about it because – I think, as you already mentioned, Hill Slide is a perfect backup center to Steven Adams. And there can be bench units with Jeremy Grant and Nerlens Noel where there are two rim-rolling options to run the pick-and-roll with. And his athleticism, his length, and I don't know if, if this is exactly true having not watched a lot of Dallas, but his presumed ability to switch and defend multiple positions should only bolster a really stringy, um, yeah, stringy defense that the Thunder have. This is... I mean, you already have Patrick Patterson, you have Noel, you have Grant. Um, people forget Dakari Johnson, which <laughs> he didn't get a lot of minutes, but he's still in the front court. I think this signing is a subtle, um, maybe a hint or, or, or a reminder to um, Carmelo that, hey, we better get to work on buying you out and moving you on because we have all these front court pieces and something's got to give. And I doubt Nerlens Noel will, being that he just got signed. Also, it's a, it's a make good for him because if he plays really well in a, in a supporting role on a playoff team, then he can enter the market next year and put himself out there on a looser a looser market where there may be just a bit more money to throw around and teams wouldn't hesitate at throwing it at a 23, 24-year-old center who has shown flashes or, or, or sustained um, decent play 
on offense, rim rolling and, and putbacks and making sure he's a presence down there. And on defense, being able to defend the rim and, and play to his strengths, his athleticism, and his versatility. I think it's a great option for the Thunder. Um, it's a minimum deal, which in most circumstances would just be great for them. But because they're in luxury tax hell at this point, it's not the best. But um, especially since his $1.7 million will actually cost them $10 million after taxes. That is insane. I just, I mean, they have to offload some salary. And Carmelo, just... Carmelo, 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 Carmelo. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you picked that cue up perfectly. But seriously, that has to happen because this is going to eat them alive. I mean, this is, they're well over in line for a, a payroll in the ballpark of $300 million, which including is, taxes. Which is ridiculous for a team that has... I would say right now, almost no chance of winning the title. And to pay oh, that oh. to pay that much money for a team that might not even make it past the second round is ridiculous. And the fact that when you cut Carmelo, a player who's a net negative at this point in his career, especially what we saw last year, especially in the playoffs, that could save you upwards of $100 million given his contract and the luxury tax concerns. I mean, they have to do it. They, they absolutely have to do it. And we'll see if it happens, but we don't know for now. Um, but I do agree. I do agree that for... The, a Thunder perspective, I like it. I like it a lot, actually. You know, there's no real downside besides the increased cost, but it looks like, even if they do release Melo, it looks like they're comfortable paying a high price for this team, um, which we can't say about the Houston Rockets, which is coming back to bite them. Um, but I do like it from the Thunder perspective. I just think for no- Noel, there were better opportunities in terms of playing role and minutes in terms of if he wanted to really boost his value, what better way to do it in a starting role in LA or starting role in Washington. But... Something about OKC convinced them, and again, another good signing for OKC as they bring back Jeremy Grant, they bring back Paul George, they add Noel, see if they can shore up back a point guard, and they've got another team, get Andre Roberson back, and they look to be right in the mix there for fighting for a top-four seed in the West. Um, I think it's logical to stay in the West to analyze some of these other signings or, or re-signings, and there are three more that happened, or four that happened in the Western Conference today. We don't have to spend time on all of them, really, and we're going to mention them. Derek Favors went back to the Jazz on a two-year, $36 million deal. With The second year is non-guaranteed, which is huge, because when that first came out, two-year, 36, I thought that was an overpay. I was surprised it got $18 million, but the second year being non-guaranteed kind of takes off the pressure of the Jazz. Not, you know, Basically, it could be a one-year deal if it doesn't work out. You know, it's weird. You know, Derek Favors has kind of started figuring out how to fit next to Rudy Gobert, but in terms of my perspective, just it's just not a modern front court. Uh, and Derek Favors really, in my opinion, is best suited to be a, a center in today's NBA. Um, he doesn't really have that much of a shot. He can hit mid-range jumpers from here and there. But him at power forward, you know, and Rudy Gobert obviously at center. And if you have one other non-shooter on your team like a Ricky Rubio, that team has just limited floor spacing. And that's going to limit their offense. You know, it could be great defensively, and that's what the Jazz bank on is their defense. But offensively, you just limit yourself playing such a traditional front court in Favors Gobert. Um, but for basically what could be a one-year $18 million deal, I think it's fine. They still have some money. They could add a guy like Nemanja Bialica, who we'll talk about, who the, who the Timberwolves basically let go. They renounced his rights. Um, that would be a nice fit for some more spacing and shooting, which they always could need, especially if they're going to play this traditional um, front court together. Um, but Derek Favors is back with the Jazz. Um, and before I get your thoughts on that, I'll just run through the other signings that happened in the West. So I mentioned the Timberwolves. They were basically replaced Bielita with Anthony Tolliver on a one-year. Um, it's in the ballpark of uh, five or six million dollars. I think it's somewhere around 5.3 or 5.6. Um, I can't remember right off the top of my head. Um, but basically, it's a swap for uh, Bielita and Anthony Tolliver. Listen, he had a really, really underrated season last year for for the Pistons. He averaged nine points per game and he shot. Uh, 44% on three-pointers, attempting 4.6 per game. 
I mean, this guy, he hit 159 three-pointers. And you want to talk about a team that needs three-point shooting? It is the Minnesota Timberwolves. Okay, they need three-point yep. shooting in the worst way possible. Uh, and they get it in Tolliver, who's also a good locker room presence. Um, I think it's a nice signing for them. I, I liked Bielitsa, but Tolliver's just a more steady presence, in my opinion. He might not be as flashy, but he's a, a more consistent shooter and a, a nice veteran piece in the locker room for them as well. I'm looking up the Minnesota Timberwolves. So they shot... 35.7% on threes, which is good for 19th in the league. But then you realize that they were taking only 22.5 threes per game, which is good for dead last in the NBA. So that 35% on those 22 attempts is not really going to do anything. He'll increase their three-point attempt rate. He'll increase their percentage. More floor spacing. Honestly, I think I would start him next to Carl Anthony Towns. I know they have Taj Gibson there, but that kind of... Taj Gibson and Towns is kind of more similar to Derek Favors and Rudy Gobert. Luckily, Towns can actually hit threes. Um, but you add Tolliver and you start him next to Towns, you get even more spacing around Jimmy Butler, even more spacing around Jeff Teague and Andrew Wiggins for them to kind of unlock themselves offensively. Defensively, Tolliver's not going to anything to write home about, but he's also not, you know, him and Bielitz are pretty much on the same level defensively. If not, I'd probably take Tolliver's experience um, uh, and veteran presence. Um Similar role, Mike Scott went from the Wizards to the Clippers for a one-year minimum contract. Um, he kind of had a bounce-back year. He was kind of like out of the league, I think, for one year or pretty much just downtrodden. Goes to the Wizards, boosts his value up, had a couple of great months pretty much when Wall was down. He really took over as a, a you know second or third or fourth option offensively. Um, I think it's a nice signing for the, the Clippers. The Clippers were rumored to be in, into Anthony Tolliver, but he went to Minnesota probably for more money and maybe a bigger role. But they were rebounded nice with Mike Scott. Nothing really to write home about because he's not going to really win you games if they're going to be competitive and they're not really tanking and they're kind of stuck in neutral and that's never where you want to be in the NBA. But Mike Scott with the Clippers. Um, and probably the final one to talk about for the Western Conference is Seth Curry going to the Portland Trailblazers. It's a two-year deal with a player option. The first year is a $2.75 million guaranteed. And, and I like this signing. And I know that they, they let Shabazz Napier go and Seth Curry's coming off a year which he didn't play at all because of an injury. Um, so that's always a risk. But if you get a healthy Seth Curry for $2.75 million, he can hit threes. He can handle the ball. Um, he's kind of, he can play maybe times if you want to go three guards um, with Lillard, Curry, and McCollum. Um, the things that they can do on that perimeter now is really, really interesting. Their front court's still a weakness. This is not a move that's going to really push them over the edge when you look at what the other Western Conference teams have done so far. But I do like this move. I think there's little risk and a lot of upside for Seth Curry in Portland. So, you know, you can choose whichever signing you want to talk about. But those were those are the signings that the Western Conference teams made today. Okay, so I'm actually going to try to keep it in the same order that you presented it. So I'm going to start in Utah with Derek Favors. Um, yeah, I thought it was a very odd deal. Two years, $36 million. The dude got paid. That's great. Um, it's a little bit of a shift from about, what, just around the trade deadline where he was rumored to be on the trade block. Um, but I guess he stuck around and, and made it work. They put together a really strong second half of the year. Um Favors actually averaged less points and rebounds per game, but he was a lot more efficient. I think it was close to 60% field goal shooting after the All-Star break. At $18 million per, it's, it's kind of hefty there, but I guess the Jazz can keep their options open because they can work with this current core and dangle Favors again on the trade block or wait till he comes off the books and then use that cap space you know, for other moves in the future. It does kind of limit how good they can be because, as you said, he hasn't really played against small lines much, and Houston... And, and the Warriors and any team that really can with the personnel will have no problem putting him through the ringer and going that route. But, I mean, it's still a very competitive team. He was a decent fit. They had, I mean, it's a good signing. I don't mind it if 
you know, you're going to play it out and just stay competitive and, and kind of keep yourself in the ring as far as contending is concerned, knowing that Golden State has it for now and kind of seeing where they go from there. And that contract does put themselves in play to move in the future or something of that sort. But I thought it was – I'd give it a C if I had a grade. It was, it was a pretty good deal in my opinion. I'm really high on Anthony Tolliver to the Wolves. You already mentioned it before. He's already played with them um, from 2010 to 2012. He can really shoot. He's coming off the best season of his career at age 32, which, I mean, is nothing because of the way that he plays. He shot. He's shooting 37.6 in his career from three. He shot, as you said, 43.6 from deep this past season. Crazy. He's versatile. He can switch all front court positions. One of the best charge takers in the league. Um, every time I think of Anthony Tolliver, I just know that, you know, you see him in timeouts. You know, if I'm watching league pass game, which is, well, basically the only time I've really seen Tolliver the last, like, three or so years. But, you know, always clapping, getting, you know, the team motivated, being just a real a, a, a great teammate in a locker room presence, both from what you see on TV and also what other teammates say. Um, another thing I remember about Tolliver, remember that funny Wolves segment I'm sure you've seen on YouTube where, you know, Shaq and the Fool or whatever, where Michael Beasley was rubbing his knee and Tolliver was just looking at him. He's like, oh, I thought it was my own knee. Every time, every time I think of Tolliver, that's what I think of. Don't judge me for that. Um, anyway, I think it's a great deal. And, I mean, let's face it. The Timberwolves needed shooting like Elver Payton needed a haircut. It was desperate. <laughs> it was dire. And I think they really addressed it. And, I mean, I was losing hope for Coach Thibodeau. I was thinking he was going backwards. Um, the team already played like they were in the mid-'90s. Um, they were signing Bulls, heyday, bench mob players from the 2010s. So to actually address a, a legitimate need – I, I, I'm actually happy for, and we'll see kind of where they go from there. But you know, I mean, you already signed Derrick Rose, and not so good. But you brought in someone that can fill a needed role. As far as Mike Scott for the Clippers, it's just the kind of move they'd make. I, I like it. He's come off the best season of his own career with the Wizards. He had 8.8 points per game, 3.3 rebounds, and less than 20 minutes per game. He shot 52% from the field and 40% from three. And he gave the Clippers something they didn't really have last season, which is a competent backup forward who could play ahead of Leslie Johnson and Sam Decker and actually space the floor. Not in theory, but actually do it. Um, the Clippers have been getting a lot of players that are either at or on the wrong side of 30 or they already have those players. Um, I, I don't really know what they're going with that. But if they're also at this point trying to be a competitive team out West, I think it's a great signing. It's a versatile forward. He, he can shoot it. He gives them a little bit more playmaking off the ball. And I think it's a nice fit. I think he'll fit in real well with Doc Rivers and the players they have there. Um, and lastly, Seth Curry. I, I really thought that was a sneaky good move, especially um, hearing at first there was rumors that he might sign with the Warriors, which I, in my head, being so young and naive about a day ago, thought, oh, my goodness, that would be a crazy not fair move for the Warriors. Fast forward 24 hours later. But um, <laughs> it, it's it's a pretty good deal. He's a, he's a floor stretcher. I think if he comes back from this injury and he's at full strength, He'll be fine. He's shooting 43.2% from three in his career, but he's not really a volume shooter. I mean, his most active year um, from 2016-2017, obviously, missing all of last season, he only attempted 4.6 threes per game. But he, he spread out the floor. He's a pretty good playmaker. Um, he connected on 48% of his corner threes, which places him in the 86th percentile of his position group. So that's kind of crazy. Um, there is concern with his injury history. You know, limited just 70 games in 2016, 2017 after he had that fall that injured his left shoulder. That left tibia fracture, um, suffered in October last year, coughing the entire season. But he's been rehabbing, and he elected to have season-ending surgery, season surgery in early February. But he successfully returned to the practice court early this summer, and he's here now. And I think 
you know, with that, with him being there, Shabazz Napier seems to be firmly out the door. Stauskas and Curry now seem to be the new guards to back up Lillard and McCollum. Um, not high on Stauskas at all, but I think Curry's a great fit for them. And he'll be a great piece, you know, in a competitive Portland team. I think all these, I don't want to say fringe teams, but not quite contenders at all with Golden State and Houston still there, um, made good moves around the edges to kind of fill in spots and, and certain weaknesses and, and kind of keep themselves in the mix. And I think if you're not the Warriors right now, that's all you can hope for, to be in the mix. So I actually like all these signings to various degrees. Yeah, I agree. And we'll see what the Blazers do with Yusuf Nurkic. It seems like he might just take his qualifying offer because there's there was no market for DeMarcus Cousins. I'm not sure there's much of a market for Nurkic, even though Nurkic is fully healthy and not and you know younger and everything like that, but just not anywhere close to this type of player that DeMarcus Cousins is. Um, let's move to the Eastern Conference, just wrap this up pretty quickly. Um, only two moves to really talk about. J.J. Redick returned to the Sixers, another one-year deal, somewhere between 12 and $13 million. So they're going to do this again where they want to make sure they have cap space next summer. Um, but they still get Redick back, who is really, really good for them, provides much-needed shooting, a nice veteran presence. Seems like we're talking about the same things with you know, a guy like Anthony Tolliver, just at a different position. Um, one-year deal, you keep, you keep that cap flexibility moving forward. They can still, have, they can still call out enough room. This summer to add another piece, maybe another backup big. They were rumored to be interested in Kylo Quinn. That could be a nice fit. Um, I, I love Reddit coming back, especially when Philly kind of struck out and all the big fish that they were trying to go after. Um, and the other one is Jose Calderon of the Pistons. I mean, the only thing I have to say is why? I mean, you look at the Pistons roster in terms of guards that can handle the ball. You've got Reggie Jackson, who I understand has injury concerns. You want to make sure you have enough backup. But you have Ish Smith getting $6 million this year. Langston Galloway getting $7 million this year. Um, you add Jose Calderon to that list. I mean, I'm just not sure why they're doing this really. I mean, you could have given that spot to maybe another big um, behind Andre Drummond and Blake Griffin. Oh, they got John Luer there. Um, they've got, they added Glenn Robinson. So they have more wings in terms of Glenn Robinson, Stanley Johnson, uh, Luke Kennard. They can guarantee Reggie Bullock's contract, which they obviously should do. But really I would have used, I'd rather, rather have used this spot on a big to support Blake Griffin and Andre Drummond instead of Jose Calderon. Um, but again, that's such a minor fringe signing. I, I doubt he really even plays that much because they've got Ishmael. Galloway, um, both behind Reggie Jackson in terms of being able to handle the ball. So, But those are the two signings that the, that the Eastern Conference teams have made. I'm not sure if you have anything to comment on any of those. but I mean, very, very little. Um, <laughs> Sixers, great signing, bringing back J.J. Redick. A great deal. It gives them room to sign more free agents if they if they choose to. He only once in his 13 years has failed to make at least 40% of his threes. Um, he connected on 42% of them this year. That was good for 15th in the year, 15th in the league. Just a great shooter, great signing. He averaged 17 points per game on 46% overall shooting, shot over 90% from the free throw line, was a great fit in Philadelphia, a very dependable catch-and-shoot player. Not much more you need to say about that. Um, Jose Calderon, I mean, for the record, Dwayne <laughs> Casey. <laughs> exactly. Dwayne Casey has said he's one of the most beautiful player people he's ever met, so I'm sure it's good for something. Um, he shot 46.4% from three-point range. Uh-oh. We'll see <laughs> if he even makes the floor. <laughs> exactly. On a very limited sample size. I mean, there's really nothing to say about that. If this is 2013, the last time he played for the Pistons, I might have more to say. But, um... Yeah, a great third point guard signing. Something had to happen. There you exactly. go. Exactly. But uh, all right, so that's going to wrap it up for day two. It's only day two. It feels like we've been in free agency for a month of all the stress and tension that's been oh, going my. on. But listen, we've got almost all the notable people 
have signed. Now, the, I mean, in, in my opinion, the attention turns to some of the restricted free agents still available. Clint Capella doesn't have a deal and looks like he has no more suitors left to, to get a deal to make the Rockets match. So they're going to hold this out and see if they can get him for a discount to save that tax bill. Um, Jabari Parker, Zach Levine still on that restricted market. Um, there's a couple of, you know, wings that are still unrestricted um, that could be interesting, some interesting pieces here and there. We also got to look at the teams that have the cost uh, cut costs in terms of the Nuggets trying to get off salary, so they may maybe have to attach an asset to trade away Kenneth Freed or something like that. So those are the next moves I'm I'm looking to see. Um, but we we probably will have a quiet couple of days moving forward. Um, you know, we promised episodes every day until July 4th, but with with how active the first two days have been, we're gonna wait and see um, if there are isn't if there are enough signings to, to warrant an episode uh, tomorrow. If there are, we will certainly have one. Um, but of course, follow me on Twitter at Eric Spiros. Um, and follow the website on Twitter at the 94 Feet Report um, to get updates on the podcast. But also check out our coverage of free agency. We had a great um, piece on LeBron James from uh, one of our writers, Simon Sharon Gordon, today. We had free agency oh, yeah. grades, day one grades from one of our writers, Jackson Lloyd. We had a summer league preview from a writer, Brandon Anderson. Um, so a diverse amount of coverage. We're going to have another LeBron piece coming out later this week. Um, a piece on Darren Fox is coming later this week. We have a diverse amount of coverage of both free agency and then other interesting stories. And, of course, this podcast. So follow me on Twitter for all that. Follow the site on Twitter at the 94 Feet Report. And Corbin, of course, they can follow you at... Corbin Ford NBA also coverage at the 94 feet report. I'll be putting out some things, retweeting some stuff I see across the net. The latest news is I get it. You know, the stuff that obviously the diverse content we have on our site. It's the good stuff, man. It's good stuff. This off season. Whew. <laughs> yeah, guys, all hope is not lost. The regular season will be fun. As we talked about today, there are a bunch of interesting storylines. So hang in there, watch some summer league, watch some Jaron Jackson tape. Cause you're going to get on board in that bandwagon that I'm already on. And I'm pretty much already leading at this point. Um, but we will potentially be back with you guys tomorrow. If not, we'll be in touch sometime throughout this week when we do kind of a more, take a step back and analyze free agency from that perspective. But again, follow us on Twitter, follow the site at the 94 feet report, check us out 94 feet report.com and uh, take care. All right, ciao.